welcome to episode nine of Three Point Podcast. Our sponsors tonight include Rivals Tap House and Grill, the area's premier sports pub, the Corona Connection, Z92.5 The Castle, and Sportsnet Michigan. I'm Ted Patel of Sportsnet Michigan and Z92.5. On the phone tonight is Matt Burns of the worldwide leader in sports, ESPN, and Jared Patel of Fat Stack Sports and WJSZ Radio is right here in the studio with me. Also in studio tonight is former coach John Patel, and we're going to be checking in with one of his former players and a very successful coach in his own right, Kyle Cluck. But what we're going to do right now is we're going to start right off and see what's going on with our pod's oldest athletic supporter, rapping Jack Straff. Hello, Fred, Herod, Matt. How you doing? I'm suffering a little bit with a cold tonight, but uh, that'll never keep old Jack Strap down. Uh, so uh, tonight I decided uh, to talk about the NBA All-Star game, which was fantastic. I know that's an ad from uh, back in the day, but uh, I loved it a lot. I loved it so much that I decided to write a rap because I was feeling like in a rapping mood after listening to it. So here you go. The NBA on Sunday began on Sunday, ended on Monday. It's the name of my rap. Yo, I sat with my beer at the bar, ready to watch the All-Stars. I stared at the 50 TVs while humming a song from the Bee Gees, eager to watch Clay and David Thompson, Bird, Irvin, and Magic Johnson, Team LeBron, and Team Del Curry. I had all day. Hell, guys, I was in no hurry. The NBA lame pregame left my eyes all blurry. As Kevin Hart gave the game a poor start, I thought I'd rather be throwing darts or eating Pop-Tarts. But I was eating my chicken wing, thinking he's a certified dingerling. He performed a song and dance. I knew right then he didn't have a chance. He better entertain me. Call me insane me. Can you blame me? He was lame, you see. Yo. So pretty Fergie sang America song, and don't y'all know that she got it all wrong? But I don't really care, and to be fair, I will share that she sang it with some flair. And with my wife Jackie sitting over there, I tried not to stare at her big derriere. Yo, NBA, fantastic, yo. So the game was starting, and I see several three-point bricks from OKC, James Harden. The game was fast and furious, and commercials, they left me more than a little curious. The NFL must have old men watching, because I saw no Viagra watching. But I digress. My life is a mess. In the halftime show, yo, what a show. Let me tell you what I thought about that halftime show. I blinked my eyes as I had to sneeze. And when I looked up, I thought I was at Chuck E. Cheese. With the dancing mascots, was I at Disney Epcot? Yo, I felt my brain clot. It was approaching 10 o'clock. So I drank another shot as the game rolled on. MJ was spot on. And so was Team LeBron as he hit the winning shot with a nice rim shot. Durant and LeBron trapped Curry in the corner spot. 
I should hurry and tell you that Team Curry lost 148 to 145. And that ain't no jive. And that's all I have to say tonight, guys. See you later. Wow. Jack really bringing it tonight, guys. A little rap on the All-Star game. He brought up some good things there. And and let's start with the All-Star game here. What do you guys think about the whole All-Star weekend? I mean, I think the, the game definitely lived up to the hype. I mean, we, we talked about it last week that maybe maybe it's not what it used to be. And, and definitely the last few years, it, it just it almost was a joke the last few years, how they the guys were just out there clowning around, just throwing alley-oops and stuff. But this game, I mean, they did the typical, the first, couple quarters even maybe into the third quarter they were they were kind of putting on a show trying to entertain but but I mean they locked down that that fourth quarter I mean it almost looked like playoff basketball if, if you want to say it that way that it was really entertaining and it was awesome to see the guys take it seriously yeah what re- who really made this game work let's be honest it was LeBron oh yeah if he if he decides that it's gonna be a joke it'll be a joke but if he decides to take it serious the rest of the guys were gonna follow suit well part of the reason they that he took it serious obviously because he had a little bit of blood in it he he drafted his team right and he wanted to get the win at the end so yeah that was pretty sweet how it all ended up yeah and I think the draft thing at, at first when when they announced they were gonna do this draft I was kind of like oh that's you know, that'll be kind of fun. But then when they said they're not going to televise it, I was kind of like, what, what's the point of doing this, this kind of like playground draft if you're not going to televise it? So I was kind of down on it. But now after watching the game, I think there was kind of almost like some, some personal feelings with it that, you know, I, I picked this team. So LeBron wanted to win and, and Steph Curry picked his team. So he wanted to win. So, so I think that, that, that it worked picking the teams like that. And I, I saw that next year, they already decided that they're going to televise the draft. So, so it's definitely something that worked. Don't you think it'd be better though, if they, uh, if they maybe held it right, you know, this on the Saturday and do the draft right there, you know, televise yeah, it like as a part of the, fa- like, a, yeah, pick the pick, you know, you have the guys already selected that's made the all-star squads, but then just pick them during uh, the Saturday night events. You could. Cause I mean, it's obviously, it's not like they like practice. It's not like they go to a gym and practice. So yeah, that would be kind of cool. Just line them up on the on the baseline and just pick the teams. It'd be awesome right before the game, not even Saturday <laughs> why not? night. Yeah, right why not? Game. Another like big topic that kind of came out of like All Star Weekend was sort of you know redoing the playoff format, seeding it one through sixteen. What did you guys think on that? I'm one hundred percent for it. I've been saying that for like the last four or five years, and part of the reason is maybe because I'm not. I'm not the biggest LeBron James fan. I can appreciate his greatness and everything like that. But I think him staying in the East is the best career move that he's ever made because there's every year it's the Hawks or it's the Wizards or it's the Raptors. It's someone that people are saying, oh, this is the year that, that either the, the Heat or the Cavs, um, LeBron's teams aren't going to make it to the finals. But everyone knows whatever team LeBron's on in the East is going to make the finals. So, and, and there's been years that if it was a 1 through 16, the Cavs or the Heat, they wouldn't have been uh, a high seed. They might have been a four or five seed if it was that kind of scenario. So his, I think almost like his myth that he's made so many finals in a row, I don't think it would be the same if it was a one through 16 seed because he'd be meeting teams like the Warriors or the Rockets in the second round, and he might not be making all these finals. So so I'm all for it. I'm for it, hundred percent for it. I I had a funny interaction with my uh, brother actually. Who he he'll just argue anything I ever propose ever. Which brother? Uh, Josh. So, so he he was arguing. He said, "Well, what if Golden State has to play Philadelphia? Like, isn't that a lot of travel?" And I was like, "Well, what about when Golden State plays Cleveland? It's like it's the same thing. What does it add? Maybe an hour of air travel to the to the to the games." 
and he just, for once in my life, I completely silenced him, and I just wanted to share that. Maybe he's listening, maybe he's not. He he will never admit to me if he does listen to this, but I just know that I body bagged you. I, I, I'm going to take an opposite approach in that uh, I, I would like to see some overhaul. I like the regional aspect of athletics, whether it's professional or college. I mean, I miss the days when in the NCAA tournament that you had the Southeast was actually the Southeast. Um, and, and so I would rather see teams in the East play more of each other in the East, and maybe they only play someone from the West once uh, once a year. I, I Again, I like the idea of really seeing which region has the best teams, even though they are all together. Otherwise, just bag the whole division concept and just you're going to take the top 16 teams and there is no division winner anywhere. So you're, West- you're talking regular season mainly, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I'm, and I'm, I'm okay with not seeding the teams as well. I think back to when Moses Malone and Houston Rockets made it to the finals. Um, fo, fo, fo. Fo, <laughs> that was with the Sixers. Oh, <laughs> when, I, I don't know what that is, but go ahead and continue. <laughs> Google it. It's worth it. They were, they were outstanding, but I, I, I like the idea of having some, I'm I'm not in favor of seeding the teams one through sixteen because I don't think you can equally determine who is the best team because they're not playing the same schedule. That's true, but you would rather have it continue as it is, where it's really unfair, where Cleveland's basically given so a free pass to the championship. If Cleveland has the best best record in the league, are they really the best team for sure? Because they may not play as good a competition as they do out west. You're you're hindering somebody who plays in a division that has that has better teams in it as well as far as where they get seated. That's true, but when you say it's even more unfair the way it is now, where all these good teams in the West are forced to play each other, I think it's good to see LeBron in the finals every year. <laughs> I, I agree, but well, maybe with the NBA with so much money, does geographic uh, areas really make a difference? Why not have a complete, yeah, complete round robin schedule? They fly charter on first class accommodations, whatever they do. I mean, but do it that way. I, I would be okay. Have a balanced schedule, then go ahead and take the top sixteen teams. I'd be I'd be fine with that. Problem solved. End of story. All right, what about the rest of the All-Star Weekend? Real quick, like, I mean, Fergie made a, a little noise with her rendition of the National Anthem. That was quite something, wasn't it? It was something, all right. <laughs> I mean, it it got a lot. I think the funniest thing was the reaction of the players. I was watching it, and I was kind of wondering what's going on. And then once once the players started laughing and stuff like that, it I knew it was just going to blow up on social media. So, I, I don't know. It, it was pretty funny. It's That kind of thing, it's always just – I always think about, like, you know, people make fun of her, like rip on her and stuff like that. And I just think, like, how how would you do if you were up there trying to sing the national anthem in front of the whole country or whatever? So, so I don't know. I, I try and take a little perspective into it. Yeah, it wasn't like Roseanne Barr, for sure. I mean, she tried. She tried something a little different. It kind of was a, a Marvin Gaye take on things, you know, back in the day. You know who he is, uh, Jared? Marvin Gaye? Ever heard of no, him? I know Marvin Gaye. Who's yeah. Roseanne Barr? Roseanne Barr, the show, t- TV show Roseanne. I've, I've heard about it. Isn't that like... Just a guy and a girl like sitting in front of TV or something like that. <laughs> Kinda. Okay. She sang the national anthem at a San Diego Padres game, and just it was horrendous. Oh, but I will, say, Matt. How can you? I get, I get the whole you know perspective thing, but this is what she does. You're saying that so, like with your uh, take that we should judge her. You know, what would we do if we were in that position? But would you say that for like an NBA player, we shouldn't be able to judge them because what would we do as an NBA player? Well, I just mean like it, you know, like if an NBA player has a really bad game and just, you know, shoots like two of twenty-two from the field or something like that, yeah, they're going to get criticism. But there's perspective. It's just like, all right, he had an off night or something like that. I think, you know, like that she was, 
she even admitted that she was trying to put her own spin on it. She tried something else and she said, I guess it didn't work. So, you know, it's not like, it's not like she was hitting bad notes and it's not like she sounded like Roseanne. She still sounded pretty good. It's just like her rendition, I guess, was kind of awkward. <laughs> I have a couple of, of comments on the national anthem. One, Fergie's performance kind of took away from the Bare Naked Ladies performance of O Canada because that was outstanding. And, and when I view national anthems, I know that there have been a lot of, a lot of uh, chatter on on social media about you should only sing it one way, and I and I don't believe that. Uh, I I when Marvin Gaye sang it for the All Star Game in 1983, it was absolutely awesome. I I I, I play it quite often actually. It's on my iPod, and and it's a song that I listen to a lot. Um, I'm not so much a fan of Jimi Hendrix's version, uh, but he was creative and artistic with that. And and again, you can always go back to Whitney Houston's. Um, version again if it if it brings chills to you then it's done very well so you just have it sitting in like your shuffle queue so so when you're just like walking and then it, what so if you're just sitting in your office and it plays do you stand up and remove your cap or how does that work <laughs> of course he does who doesn't but I, yeah i agree with your Jimi hendrix take i also was about to say that i just people talk about how good that is uncle ted probably thinks it's awesome you know with his hippie days but well, in the time in the time you know, but that, it's like eight minutes long isn't it like right. super long well keep in mind he was playing it at woodstock the the biggest uh, rock festival of all time it kind of fit it kind of fit True. the times back then do you guys here's a trivia question for you do you know who the first uh, artist is that uh, kind of had an off-center uh national anthem uh, i know this performance john knows it but i bet the youngsters don't i elvis i don't know no. good guess johnny no. cash Jose Feliciano. You got it, John Boy. 68 World Series. Ernie Harwell lined up Jose Feliciano. Do you know who he is? Feliz Navidad. Does he sing yeah, that? Yeah, that's the oh, guy. Are you, well, that, that was a guess. Got it. <laughs> there we go. All right. I will. You guys are going to get blown away by this, but I watched the halftime performance, and you probably thought, think I, I would hate that. <laughs> it was actually pretty good. I kind of liked it. I didn't know what the hell was going on there with all those stripper girls and you know yeah. Pharrell dancing around, but the music had a kind of catchy beat to it. I liked You're, it. Oh, yeah, the music is what? Your eyes were glued to the screen on those stripper girls. <laughs> You're not getting anyone was saying, oh, the music was pretty good. We know why you enjoyed it so much. Well, let's just keep it between us, all right? Let's not tell anybody. <laughs> But I will say that, like, about the dunk contest, it bothers me. What don't they get about it's all about the pageantry? In my eyes, that's it's all about the pageantry. Mm-hmm. Like, he threw on the Black Panther mask. You do that for every one of your dunks, something along those lines, you're going to win. And it's more entertaining. What do you guys think about I, just the whole pageantry I, to dunk side? Well, I think you got to go for the glitz, without a doubt. To be honest with you, I didn't see the all-star uh, dunk. I saw a couple of them on the highlights, but I didn't watch the whole thing. So I'm going to have to defer to you guys. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a huge part of it. Is that I mean, that's why guys now, you know, they put on a throwback jersey or or they bring like Blake Griffin brought out a car and jumped over it and you know stuff like that. I think that's because I I think like what we were talking about last time when we were talking about the dunk contest, it's hard to wow people nowadays with just like a standard dunk because we've I mean for the most part we've almost seen everything. So so they do have to do some stuff like that. So. You know, it, it's it's entertainment, and these guys. I, I thought the dunk contest was good this year. I, I mean, it didn't have Zach Levine like you were talking about last week, but it, it, I still think it was entertaining. I I think being an old school guy, uh, one of the the best parts of the dunk contest was its absence. Uh, the ABA had the dunk contest for a while, and I never got to see any of those dunks as a kid. You only could read about it because it wasn't on TV. And then when it came came back in the eighties. It was it was must must see TV. 
I've seen it now for 20 some years. And, and and again, like Jared says, I don't need to see guys putting on black, black Panther masks to dunk. I think that takes away from it. I'd, I'd almost like to see him do it every other year or every three years, something to make it really special when you get the, the best guys in it. I mean, that's part come, of the problem. We don't get the best guys. Yeah. Why isn't LeBron, has he ever even been in a dunk contest? No. No, he's never done it. It's actually one of the knocks on LeBron. It's it's kind of, it's almost funny, but it's one of the knocks on LeBron that he never did a dunk contest because Jordan obviously did it. Kobe even did it. And, you know, some of these other stars did it. So it's one of the knocks on LeBron. I don't think it's that big of a deal, but it would be cool to watch him. It would be cool to watch him out there. People mention like, you know, the Michael Jordans, uh, Dominique Wilkins, like those dunk contests. What's funny to me is you go back, people talk about the, the Spud Webb dunk contest all the time. He won the dunk contest doing like a windmill. Like he it was, was five like foot it's a joke. five. For God's well, sake, it was unbelievable. You just look at that's just that uh, that explains to me the athletic differences in today's game from yesteryear. You Nate Robinson's like the same height. He was jumping over Dwight Howard. Do you think Spud Webb could do that? I think didn't Nate Robinson actually jump over Spud Webb also? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'd watch that. <laughs> yeah, and I mean that's that's what I, I was talking about last week. I mean those are those are legendary dunk contest and those are legends of the game spud webb jordan dominique all those but i don't know i just go back and watch some of those dunk contests and the dunks just they're not really all that impressive jordan and dominique did have some really impressive ones but but you know you you look at them now and and i mean i'm watching i'm watching games every night or whatever and i see those dunks happen almost on a nightly basis i just want to remind everybody that one of our sponsors is the corona connection a publication founded to create a platform for corona residents and students to connect view the entire corona connection paper online every month both on facebook and at coronaconnection.com well next up on the program we have uh, well a former cavalier of course, once you're a former Cavalier, you're always a Cavalier. We have Kyle Clough, who starred on the gridiron and also on the basketball courts, but uh, coached at Corona, moved on, was became a Hoosier coach, and now currently at Rockford. Hi, Kyle. Welcome to the program tonight. Hey, Ted. Thanks for having me, man. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I'll tell you what. We put this three-point podcast with uh, former Cavaliers, and you fit right in. We also have your former coach, John Fattel, here with us. And we want to we pick your brain a little bit, Kyle. I mean, you've made your way up the upper ranks of high school coaching, but you started your career in Corona. Let's start right there. I know you played uh, different sports at Corona with uh, our third partner, Matt Burns. Tell us a little bit about your time at Corona as uh, an athlete. You know, a lot of... Uh... A lot of who I am today and the things that I've had the opportunity to do as an adult kind of came from uh, my experiences that I had at Corona and uh, obviously a place that really enjoyed growing up, had some great experiences there as an athlete and then had the luxury to go back there as a, as a teacher and a coach too and kind of see it from a different perspective. But, you know, the community itself is always, always what's been home to me and you know, even when we moved down to Indiana, every time we had a chance to come back, it was, uh, it just always feels like home. You know, there's a lot of great people there that I still talk to and had a lot of great experiences, had some good runs there in sports and a lot of those things that, uh, that we experienced and that we, we fought through or learned from through tough losses. A lot of that stuff still sticks with me today. So I'm very thankful for that time that I had there and for people like, like John, who, uh, kind of molded us into adults like we are today. And, you know, I still, uh, we were able to come back there and play this year actually with our Rockford team and it, it's always a cool feeling getting back into that gym for sure. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you, Kyle. You you brought up Rockford. Uh, we're heading into March Madness here. Where do the Rams sit? How do you feel about about your squad heading into the, the tournament? Yeah, you know we've had a we've had kind of an interesting year. Um, we're right now we're eight and ten, and 
we've had we've had some tough losses we've had some good wins and you know we've uh we've, we've got a fairly young team as far as experience uh we graduated nine seniors last year and so there's been some bumps along the road but uh i do feel good about the direction the program's heading and you know one thing about being in the okay red over here i think in whatever sport you play is you better uh you better bring your hard hat every night and i think there's no easy wins for 20 straight games and we're hanging in there i mean i do think we've got got a good bunch of kids i think we've got some young guys that are going to eventually be some really good players for us and so we're just continuing to grind it out and and looking forward to kind of that second season as you get ready for march here obviously i think everybody's feeling that way and excited for that time of year i had a quick question for you uh kyle or coach clough what do you what do you what's the proper way to refer to you should i call you kyle or coach clough you can call me Kyle, Jared. You're old enough now. <laughs> okay, sounds good. All right. So, hey, hey, for the record, I'll never forget the day your dad told me to stop calling him Coach Patel, too. So I'll never forget that. So I'd say he's passing that on, and you can you can refer to me whatever you want to now, J. Rod. But you're doing big, you're doing big things. So I'll allow it. I appreciate it. That's a <laughs> that's a badge of honor right there. But so my just kind of going back to your uh, playing days at Corona. Uh, as we all know, you had a very good uh, basketball career, and but I want to focus on your football career. Numerous people have told me uh, that me and you are kind of two of the top quarterbacks in Corona's history. So I just had a quick question um, on a hypothetical best of best of team from Corona. Would you be okay with filling up water bottles? <laughs> hey, you know what? As long as we got to win and make a run, uh, I'd do whatever the team needs, Jared. I learned that a long time ago, so I'd have no problem with that, my man. Yeah, that's uh, I appreciate it. But honestly, I mean, you had a really good career for football, and just to be in. Someone even thinking that we're in the same category is it means a lot to me. So well, you worked awfully hard, and it was exciting to see. You know, it's funny as you as you mentioned that I can remember when we were playing, and and guys that were older than me, um, Brent Geeskins of the world, Scott Tremere's, they would come back, and we would often have similar discussions. And and I think that's kind of the neat thing about a place like Corona is you you never lose contact with those guys that played before you. And if we did anything during our run and during our time to inspire you guys when you were young kids, I think that's something we all could be really proud of. And was really excited to see you guys have such a great success there the last couple of years in football and, and in basketball. So I remember you as a little tyke, and then I got to watch you play quarterback. So that's been pretty cool, and it tells me that I'm starting to get pretty old too. I think. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but none of you guys are going to as old as I am for sure. I will say this, Kyle. I'm going to throw my nephew out of it because it is blood. But uh, throwing him completely out of the picture, I mean, you know, I, I've watched a lot of Corona football, as you know, and you're right there at the top as a Corona quarterback for sure. And it was a pretty good combination you had going with uh, young Mr. Burns there too, wasn't it? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think that, you know, playing the quarterback position, it's kind of a high-profile position. And so I've always felt like, you know, quarterbacks kind of probably are in the position where they, they often get too much blame when things go wrong and they probably get too much credit when things go well. So, you know, when we played, we had a lot of weapons out there. And so certainly made my job a lot easier to have a guy like Matt and, um, you know, a guy like John Skodak out there. And, I mean, we just had a lot of guys where the ball could go in different directions. And Matt, uh, Matt really kind of asserted himself as the best wide receiver and, not only the area, but maybe a big portion of Michigan that year because it was kind of nice to have a guy that when you just threw it up, you knew he was going to come down with it. And so certainly made life a lot easier. And uh, that was a pretty special combination that we had. And, you know, by the end of that, by the end of that year, we, uh, we kind of established that relationship where you just knew if you got the ball up in the rear around him, he was going to make sure he came down with it and stuff. So definitely a lot of fun. We had a great time together. And like I said, there was a lot of guys out there that really contributed to that and made my job as a quarterback awfully easy. Now, was Matt a good athlete or was he more of like the typical white wide receiver uh, sort of stereotype, <laughs> you know, ran great routes, had good hands? 
No, Matt was a great athlete. He was a guy, you know, I think that we had a bunch of good athletes in that class, and I think that's what that's what was really kind of neat is we were all able to push each other and, uh, you know, hold each other accountable on so many different levels. But, he, uh, you know, he was a guy that you could, you could throw the ball down the sideline to on a little fade route and expect him to come up with it. You know, and he was a guy that also would run across the middle and catch it and make, make short passes into big plays. And I think that, Jared, you know, this is a quarterback that anytime you got a receiver that can turn short passes into big yardages, it certainly makes you look better as a quarterback. Mm-hmm. I can definitely say that. You know, I, I appreciate those those kind words, but you made my job a lot easier because you put the ball on the money more often than not. So we worked well off of each other, like you were saying. And, and I got it, man, Jared, he gives me a hard time. He, he just keeps ramming on me about – I'm just that stereotypical white wide receiver. I don't know what it is. Maybe we're going to have to get out there in an alumni game and, and, and play a little bit. Yeah, we might have to yeah. put, put you through a combine. I, that's just, to be frank, you're, <laughs> if you're a white wide receiver, that's just how it is. That's how I'm always going to be you. Nah, I get it. I get it. Kyle, I was going to ask you, you, you brought up a little bit, you were, you were talking about our class and, and a lot of the, the good athletes and everything that we had in our class. A couple of weeks ago, uh, we had the 1983 state championship team and Coach Patel was in there and we were – talking about that season and and I asked him a similar question I asked him what he saw in our our basketball team that made a run to Breslin that was similar to his state championship team now that you're you know 15 years removed from from our playing days now looking back what kind of things did you see on our football field and on on our basketball teams that that helped our success yeah you know that's that's a great question I think that you know with the football season you know that was I don't want to say that it was rather unexpected but I think that uh you know, we had a couple close wins throughout that year that really just kind of instilled a lot of confidence in our team. Um, I think we all believed we could be really good, but I don't think we quite knew, you know, um, how good. And I think when we ended up walking off that field against Grand Rapids South Christian after that last game, I know myself personally even allowed myself temporarily to think, well, you know, how far were we going to really get anyway in this thing? Because, you know, Cooperzill was number one in the state that year. We would have had to win two more games, I think, through the number one and number two team. And, and in hindsight, you know, you, we were a lot closer probably than maybe even we thought possible. But, you know, on basketball, I think right from the start, I think the expectations were all high from us as players and, and then obviously from John. But, you know, one of the things that I've really appreciated about the way that John coached us was, you know, it is really hard to get so many players to buy into their roles. And I think that that is, as I've sat here now as a head coach for seven years, I think that's the greatest challenge every team you have is, is how do you get your best players to appreciate your maybe guys that play the fewest minutes? How do you get your guys that play the fewest minutes to embrace that role and what you need out of them on a daily basis? And, you know, John was a master at that. I think that that was a big key. Um, and then we had, you know, uh, obviously with nine seniors, we were all incredibly close and, and so, uh, you know, that was special on a lot of fronts. I, I do, I draw from that often. I try to rem- remind myself, you know, what it was like to have, you know, so much care and passion for your teammates like we had on that team. And what I've found is, is that's just not, that's kind of an abnormality in today's world to have a lot of selfless people like that, that, you know, on probably any other team in our league could have been playing 30 minutes a game and, and guys would just come in there for maybe 14 minutes a game and play incredibly hard. And so that was that was probably the most special thing about our team, I think. And then I, I just think from a philosophical standpoint, I think that maybe even as far as still what I've seen, we were one of the best defensive teams, you know, that I've I've seen as a player and now as a coach. And I think that had a lot to do with obviously our success and so on. But, but I think more than anything, it was uh, just great leadership from John and his ability to kind of, like I said, get us all to buy into our roles and, and get us not to care who scored and just, just be all about winning. And man, is that such a skill? And that's a hard thing to accomplish. You know, you got to have a coach that knows how to do it, and then you got to have a bunch of players who are willing to buy into it. And then on top of everything else, in today's world, you got to have a bunch of parents that are willing to 
willing to support that too. And that's not always in an easy thing or always within your control. Kyle Cluft, our guest here on three point podcast. And let's talk to the, the former coach, John Fattel. What, what, what are some of your thoughts about that team that year? And you know, your run to the Brez. Well, I, I think that Kyle's right on, but the one thing that he has, has not mentioned is we were good. Um, I, I really believe that we had the top five players in our conference that year. Uh, we had a lot of people who could shoot, a lot of people who could score. Uh, I, I know Hubie Brown has said often that uh, great shooters cover up a multitude of sins, and that team, just everybody on the team could shoot. And we had a, a big guy in the middle with Dan Hess that we were able to go through. And, and, I, would, and I would agree, too, that we were um, – a, a fantastic defensive team, the best talking team defensively that I've be, ever ever been around, ever coached. Um, but but it still goes back to what Kyle said too about accepting roles in that team wanted to win above anything else. Um, I, I mean, so I, I even use Matt as a perfect example. Matt could have very easily um, bent had sour grapes, wanted more playing time. Matt was a heck of a player, and and Matt was sixth sixth seventh man, and but just was happy happy contributing to the team's success and and was every bit as important as our top player and Pete Shannon who, who was 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 equally as important even though he wasn't you wouldn't read about him in any headlines so it was a really a special group of guys all right let's move from your playing days guys if you don't mind and Kyle let's talk a little bit about your coaching carousel I mean uh obviously you you played at Corona and played very successfully but what made you get the coaching bug and talk a little bit about your coaching stops until you made it to where you're at right now in Rockford yeah you know I mean I think coaching was was always something that I was definitely interested in and you know I think anytime that you have the most impactful people in your life be your coaches and John certainly was that for me and my dad was a coach my whole life and so it just it kind of seemed like that natural fit and so I you know I got I convinced myself that that was the direction I wanted to head and like any young guy you know I think you're just trying to find what you're going to be great at and and for me it was something that I you know I just felt like I had to I had a chance to impact people and and uh, you know could really enjoy doing it and so once I got an opportunity to you know I started coaching JV basketball at Owasso and Dave Owens was great to give me that opportunity and it really gave me my first taste of dealing with parents and organizing practices and organizing uh, meals on the buses and then all the other things that go along with coaching besides just X's and O's and you know, fortunately for me, I ended up getting a teaching job at Corona and then luckily fell into the coaching position there when we had a couple of, uh, you know, a bunch of young kids that were coming through that had a chance to be really good. And so I had a great two years there, had some really special, special kids that uh, I still talk to a lot and obviously are pretty, pretty close to Jared and John and uh, Johnny still over here coaching with me in Rockford. So, which was outstanding, you know, and then uh, kind of had one of those turning points in your life with uh, what now is my future wife. And she's a Corona girl too, obviously. And she was headed to law school, and so we had some tough decisions to make there, but it ended up working out where we ended up down in Indiana and really had just an awesome experience down there for three years. Uh, was at a place that was in a major rebuilding project, obviously, but to be a part of Indiana basketball was, was outstanding. And then here we are, kind of came full circle and ended up back over here at Rockford, which is a great place and somewhere we've really uh, really gotten comfortable with and, and feel like home now. And the basketball, you know, I'm enjoying the heck out of that and the challenges that come along with it. So it's been a, been a fast seven years. I've learned a lot and been in different places, but I uh, don't think I'd change anything for it and really have appreciated all those stops along the way. I just had a quick question about sort of your coach uh, coaching philosophy. So, I mean, amid the NCAA allegations we heard today regarding Miles Bridges, this could be a fun like time machine, like what if Sparty was rolling into the tournament? But if you were coaching Michigan State and you had to juggle you know, the lineups, you mentioned minutes earlier, and you had to juggle Miles Bridges, uh, Nick Ward, and Jaron Jackson, how do you think you would 
used all three of those guys? Well, I mean, that's a great question. I think that, you know, when with Jaron coming in this year, obviously that's freed Miles up a little bit to move him to the three. And, you know, Miles is one of those guys that, you know, even a guy that feels like he knows basketball, I'm not sure exactly what type of player he's going to be in the NBA. You know, I mean, I think that he's going to be a good player in the NBA, but, you know, I almost feel like from a matchup perspective, he was more difficult to guard at the stretch four last year. But, you know, I think that they've obviously, they've obviously had all three of them out there at times. And, you know, Bridges is obviously shooting the ball uh, a lot better, I think, than most people even anticipated he would do at this time in his career. But, um, I, you know, I'm one of those guys that I've learned already. I think you have your best players out there. And if that means you got three bigger guys like that, then, you know, Bridges is going to have to continue to play the three a little bit. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm a big I'm a big fan of, of Jaron Jackson. I think he may, in my opinion, in my novice opinion, I think he may be the most polished NBA-type player that Michigan State's had, at least in the last 15, 20 years, in my opinion. So I think that, you know, keep all three of them out there, and hopefully they don't uh, – Hopefully Miles doesn't get taken off the floor here for all the other stuff going on. What do you think, uh, gut feel, Kyle, with what's going on right now with the controversy uh, in the NCAA and Michigan State in general? Yeah, I mean, you know, I've, I've really started to pay a lot of attention to that. Obviously, the the breaking report came out today. And um, as, a, as a Spartan fan, I mean, it's tough because Izzo is such a guy that even if you're not a Spartan fan, I think you have incredible respect and admiration for him. And, you know, it's, it is tough to, to see what this apparently may do to just to his legacy or, you know, maybe not. There's obviously a lot of things that have to come out, but I think it's an interesting time. I think it's going to, I think it's going to lead to some major changes in college basketball. I think that's the biggest key here is that we're going to see the NCAA is going to have to, they're finally put in a position where they're going to have to make some adjustments. And it'll be really interesting to see if that, if that means they're going, going to, you know, find a way to compensate these players a little bit more to try to avoid the behind the scenes um, activity or, you know, or if they're just going to crack the whip down a little bit more and, but, you know, you've heard a lot of people say this, it's cliche, but it is the wild, wild west. I mean, with the AAU programs and the agents and the amount of people and the, and the prostitutes, kids go, yeah, that's true. And uh, <laughs> the amount of people that they get put in front of at, at that age is incredible. I mean, I, I would have a hard time as a 33-year-old man if somebody put enough money in front of me. You know, it, it, you, you put yourself in those positions and then to imagine as a 17, 18-year-old kid, uh, and a lot of them, you know, coming from places where they didn't have anything to begin with. So, you know, I think it's unfortunate. I'm kind of bummed as a basketball fan on what it's doing as far as the image of basketball. But, you know, if I've if I've learned one thing, sports are sports are going to survive everything, and hopefully, uh, you know, they can get some of this stuff cleaned up, and hopefully, we'll still have a heck of a March Madness here as we get ready for that. I see a lot of uh, hypocrisy in the NCAA. I just I, college players should be paid. I remember writing a college paper on it back in 1983. Um, it, it's ridiculous that that these athletes have to put up with these hardships. I also I'm not a, although selfishly I would love to see these college players play college basketball for four years. They should be able to go to the NBA right out of high school if they can. It's not a problem for for baseball players. It's not a problem for baseball players to hire an agent. Um, let let these guys have agents. If if agents want to lock them up, then that's that's their decision. I, I the, the NCAA could pay a small stipend to uh, athletes to help them out during the school year, and if if someone is good enough to have an agent like a Miles Bridges or the players at Duke or wherever, they should they should be able to do so. This is ridiculous, uh, the hypocrisy that the NCAA has. I love how you mentioned that they that you wrote a paper about it. I think everyone's wrote a, that, that paper. Because it's uh, been a, it's, it's been true. A it's, it, I know. It's, it's just kind of funny. But uh, gut feeling, Kyle, does Miles Bridges, Miles Bridges play in March? You know, I was reading an article today, and I guess I, I wasn't necessarily aware of this because I was curious about what the actual 
current rules are. And the what I gathered today, and it may not be exactly correct, but was anything over $100, the next $100 every 100 would be a game suspension, according to the NCAA. So my interpretation of kind of the money that was at this point put in front of Bridges' mom uh, from what an article that I read today would suggest that if the NCAA had to hand a suspension, it would be something around a three-game suspension for that $400. And so you know, I'm kind of I'm kind of interested to see what they do because I think on one hand, you know, you want to see this play out. You want to you want to feel like the investigation could possibly create some explanation for it, although I don't really see that. Um, and on one hand, as a Spartan fan, I'm almost thinking you may want to just sit him for three games, be proactive about it. Something that doesn't really affect the long term, you know, plans of this team probably, regardless if they're a one, two, or three seed, what they do here in the next few games. And the one thing that I don't want to see, and I think that you Michigan fans obviously can relate to this a little bit and I mean that with all due respect but I don't want to see them make a magical run here win a national championship and then five years from now have that banner taken down because of something so we'll see I mean it seems like the statement they came out with today suggested that they were not going to suspend him and they're going to wait for the investigation to take place and I think that you know temporarily might be a safe bet because the NCAA has got about a billion dollars riding on March so I wouldn't be surprised if they don't pull any triggers here right away yeah the NCAA won't be proactive for sure but the problem is the FBI is involved in it and that's going to force their hand probably well Kyle let me ask you this just point blank I mean, I know you're happy in Rockford, but uh, any any potential collegiate aspirations as a coach? You know, that's a great question, Ted. I think at um, at one point in my career early on, uh, it was definitely something that that I was intrigued by. You know, I think that as I've gotten older, that uh, maybe that that idea or dream or whatever you would call it has kind of moved further and further away because, uh, you know, really, if you're going to break yourself into the college ranks, I think you do it one of two ways. I think you get started when you're early on in your career and you're, you're single and you're able to travel and, and money is not really an issue. And, um, or you are sustained, you know, you've had a sustainable career and had success and done it for a long time. And then maybe something like, like what we saw with Greg Mitchell happens, but you know, I, I really, at this point, I really don't, I mean, I just enjoy, I enjoy teaching. I enjoy being in education and I, I do enjoy the high school aspect of things, but you know, who knows, things can change. I, I hope to you know, be in this profession for a long time and never rule it out. But I got a young kid at home that I've really enjoyed spending a lot of time with. And I know at the college level, that would certainly be a lot more difficult. You know, we didn't really get into it, but let's flash back again for just a moment. Um, you know, you coached in Indiana and Indiana high school basketball is, is incredible. I know I've seen it firsthand and obviously you coached in it. Just tell us a little bit about what it was like, you know, coaching in gyms that hold, you know, eight to 10,000 people. Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, it's definitely everything you've ever heard of. You know, I remember being in a young, as a young player hearing about Hoosier hysteria. And of course I was a cocky, cocky point guard that didn't think anywhere was better than Corona in the world. So I was always kind of, uh, oblivious to that, but, uh, yeah, it is it is everything you've ever thought of. They fill gyms down there the size of college gyms on a regular basis and they're they're passionate about their basketball, you know, and I think it's a combination of places. You know, if you get down into the, the heart of Indianapolis, there's obviously, you know, some of the best players in the country from that particular area and then if you get south of Indianapolis, it's almost like a, a different state. I mean, they have two semi-state games. You know, we're here in Michigan. We play the semifinals all at the Breslin Center. They have a south semi-state and a north semi-state. And so it is like a different world down there. And, in, you know, in southern Indiana, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but the reality of it is you're living in some really small towns and people don't have a lot of other things to do. You know, it's almost like flashing back 50 years ago, to be honest with you. And so everybody in the community goes to these games, and whether you're really good, whether you're poor. and 
um, they do rally and support them and they're passionate about it and stuff. So it was, it was definitely a great experience. I mean, it's something that I'll never forget and something I'm very thankful that I did. And I really think that I learned as much about coaching in those three years as any time in my career, any time in my life as a player, because the coaching down there is, is something that's really, really impressive. The way that they develop kids and the philosophies that they do and use and really enjoyed it. I'm really happy here and I'm glad we're back here in Grand Rapids area, but that's something that I'll always be thankful I had an opportunity to do. Yeah, the west side of the state and where you're living, not a bad area. Any final thoughts, guys, here for Coach Kyle Clough? Yeah, I was going to ask you, Kyle. I just wanted to to see what your thoughts are. I mean, you you were talking about Izzo, and and we know you're 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 a Spartan fan. Most of us on this podcast, we're we're Michigan fans. But I'm curious what your thoughts are on uh, John Beeline. What what kind of things do you see that he instills in his team that that maybe you you try and do for your teams? You know, I think that John Beeline is probably the most underrated basketball coach in the country. It's hard to imagine you could say that about somebody that's at the University of Michigan and has been to a national championship game. But um, for whatever reason, you know, he's a guy year in and year out that doesn't get the credit that he deserves. And, you know, I think one thing that Beeline is incredible at is that he – he doesn't get credit as a recruiter because he doesn't necessarily bring in five-star guys, but I think that he is as good as anybody in the country at recruiting to his system. And every year he gets, you know, a new point guard that's like uh, Burke, like Walton, like Poole, and, you know, and they get guys that just know what they want, know how they want to do it. And, and then he's a, uh, you know, he's an offensive genius. And I think that one of the things that he's really done in the last couple of years, going back to Lavelle Jordan was, you know, he got pretty smart and, and brought in some guys on his bench that were defensive oriented. And I think that that's, you know, a sign of any great coach is know your weaknesses, know your strengths, and then find guys to surround yourself with that can help, help improve your weaknesses. And yeah, I mean, I'm a huge beeline fan and I, you know, my wife is a Michigan grad. And so we often will watch games and, and I do root for them. I know that's hard to believe, but as long as they're not in East Lansing or playing against the Spartans, I'm a big fan. And, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I think he is. I think he's top notch. I think he's one of the best in the country. And I don't think you've seen. Uh, I don't think you've seen his last run to the Final Four national championship. I wouldn't be surprised to see them back there before he's all done. So what I heard you say is that you uh, need to do a better job of recruiting players for your system, just like Beeline. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I did notice that when you were naming off Michigan point guards, you didn't mention Andrew Dockett. He must have just slipped your mind. He's a very talented player who now plays for Ohio State. <laughs> Yeah, I couldn't bring up that name. Sorry, his dad drives me crazy, so I can't give him too much credit. (laughs) All right, Kyle, we really appreciate the time tonight. Good luck in uh, March, and uh, we'll be definitely keeping tabs with the Rockford Rams, man. Appreciate it, as always. Hey, thanks for having me on. I think what you guys are doing is awesome, and uh, I'm definitely a big fan, and appreciate you even considering me tonight, and um, best of luck to the Cavaliers over there as well. Thanks, Kyle. Thank you, buddy. No. All right, thanks, guys. See ya. See ya. Well, guys, I want to move the topic. Let's let's keep it on basketball, but let's talk uh, college basketball. You know, we got to talk about what's going on in college basketball right now, guys. I mean, we've touched upon it in some of our other pods, but what the hell is going on? I think Jared talked about it in one of our first podcasts. I, I think it's something that's been going on since the NCAA was founded, since college sports started. I think it's just something that it's almost like we've always known that this kind of stuff goes on, but as long as it's not out of control, you know, we're, we kind of just turn our back to it, I guess. And, and, you know, it's until something big happens like with Louisville or, or now with all these schools that came out is when, is when it starts to get a little out of control. But I think for the people that are like blown away by this and are acting like they're surprised, I mean, even Mark Emmert, the president of the NCAA, he came out and made it seem like he was surprised by all this stuff. And it's like, come on, if, if you really think that this stuff doesn't go on, then I, maybe you're just kind of naive. Yeah, what stood out to me is these numbers. They, like, can't be real. I mean, 
Josh Jackson, $2,000. I honestly feel like I, I would pay Josh Jackson $2,000 to come to Michigan out of my own pocket. Right. Why, you, do you want, do, are we supposed to believe that they would accept, like, isn't uh, Miles Bridges, like, what is his, like, $400? $400. What, what's $400 when he's going to be making $20 million? That's, I just, it's bizarre. I, that's not what they're getting paid. That's one of many, many stipends they're receiving. Right, and that, that's what I've seen some people say is like, I mean, we, we've talked about it before, but, it, you know, there's different levels to this. I mean, if, if someone, if you just go out to eat and someone pays for your dinner, technically that's a violation. But, you know, you're that's just something that people do. Like you go out to eat with someone and someone says, hey, I'll pick it up for you. Is, do you expect an 18 or 19-year-old kid to be like, no, 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 wait. Yeah, I, I got to pay for everything. I've got to do this because I don't want to get in trouble. That's ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. Yeah, it's but like two thousand. It just cracks me up that I just can't get over those numbers. Like two thousand dollars. I don't think that gets you like a four star football recruit. Even right. I don't even think that gets his attention. But that was just that. that this is like the early release. You know, we're going to be seeing some other stuff come out. This is just the brand new stuff that came out. In fact, John, you saw something on Twitter just tonight. It's the, the, have an FBI wiretap of Sean Miller. Um, saying that he was going to pay a hundred thousand dollars for a player. Yeah. So another. Uh, yeah. He he's a he's a dead man. He's out. <laughs> well, he's not going to be alone, guys. I don't think. And I mean, here's my coach po- K. Coach K could be involved. You know, anybody could be involved right now. We don't know. But again, I think it's more of these coaches. Well, here's my opinion. I think they're more apt to just kind of turn their head not look at it maybe not be directly involved in you know running the puppets out there but they're not going to turn away the boosters and that's bad but they're saying hey my hands aren't on it because i'm not telling anybody to do it that's my feeling on these top coaches i could be wrong what What do you guys think yeah that's what i don't get you mentioned the boosters the boosters aren't paint weren't isn't what came out in these reports it's agents i don't get why that's okay colleges boosters are kind of the same i i would say boosters have a direct correlation with the university whereas agents how are coaches supposed to control the agents very good point i agree that's what i don't get why are the colleges paying the prices for this it should be the players, and really, you can't even. Well, how do the coaches, the how do the coaches control graduated. the boosters? Even? What? How do they control them? Exactly. Exactly. That's why the whole thing is just—it's a bizarre. mess. And what's going to happen? That's my big question. Well, if it, if it takes down enough big names, I think you're going to see change. If, if Coach K is involved, next thing you know, college college players are getting paid. How many uh, how many NCAA violations do you see out of college baseball programs? To be honest, I. Couldn't tell you a thing about anything about college <laughs> yeah, baseball. I don't know if there are any or not. The system with college baseball is just set up, in, in my opinion, way, way better because you can get drafted and you can sign with an agent, but then you can you can decide to go play in college if you don't want to go play in single A or double A ball or something like that. So, so it just seems like the system in baseball is set up more that you almost don't need to do this kind of stuff if you want to get top level talent because I'm we're covering college baseball all the time down here, and all we talk about is that. This kid was drafted by the Rockies. This kid was drafted by the Astros, but he's playing at LSU or he's playing at Alabama or whatever it is. So these coaches, they don't really need to do that because the system in college baseball, to me, actually makes sense. It gives the kids options. They can either try and go pro, go play single A, double A ball, or they can go go to college if they want. So I just wish the NBA would do that. You already have the G League. Give these kids an option if they want to go play in the G League or if they can make a, an actual big NBA baller team, league. Go ahead. Yeah, the big baller league. I mean, that might be something that, that starts to change things if that ever picks up steam. So I just think the one-and-done rule needs to go away. That's the big thing. Kind of just to sort of pivot a little bit, but did you guys see, uh, like, John Beeline, he sent a text to uh, 
recruit instead of like emailing him. So that was like against the rules. No, I did well, see recently? that. Yeah. yeah. So, so just the way I picture that like scenario playing out, just like Coach Beeline sort of telling on himself <laughs> to the NCAA. I just imagine sort of like a confession type scene, right? Where you know he. He, uh, you know, he's, he goes, uh, you know, the NCAA, you know, I need to come clean. Uh, there's something that's been just, like, bothering my conscience. I, I sent a recruit a text instead of email. And the, the NCAA just, uh, we got prostitutes to deal with here, John. I don't think this is a big deal. And then he just goes, please, what can I do? I'll do anything. Just give me your forgiveness. I just he's such a goody two-shoes. It's hilarious to me. He is the head of the uh, ethics committee for the NCAA. So, I mean, he, he's probably in a position that he, he needs to tell on himself, but it is kind of funny when there's when Louisville's throwing prostitutes around and teams are throwing hundreds of thousands of dollars around and, and Beeline's worried about sending one text. What do you guys think also on this? I might know what Jared is thinking, but we all we all agree Beeline seems to be pretty clean, you know, across the board. What do you think about Izzo? Because I happen to think, I think the guy's a stand-up, upright guy, and I don't think he's in on any of the, we'll call it shenanigans myself, but what do you guys think about Tom Izzo? No one's out, No, everyone's involved. Somewhere or another, somewhere in their past, they've paid a player. I, that's 100%. So you think Izzo has paid a player that direct, directly? Like he's known of someone getting paid is what I would say. I don't think so. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a Michigan fan, but I, I'm like Ted. I th- believe that Izzo's a pretty stand-up guy, and if there is anything shady in his program, I would, I, I would, I believe that he wouldn't have any any knowledge. Of I it can't, at all. I can't wait. Uh, we'll we'll leave the podcast room. It'll, there'll be a report that his <laughs> phone was tapped, and I'll I'll take that little sound bite, and it'll be a freezing cold take. I don't know if you guys see that Twitter account, but <laughs> yeah, you guys will be on that. That's, that's okay. But, no, I mean, I I think I'm with you guys. I I'd be really surprised if if Izzo knowingly was involved in any of this kind of stuff, or you know, was was actually himself paying players. I would just be really surprised, just because he does. I don't know him personally, but just from you know following the program or, or watching him for the last twenty years or whatever, it does seem like he's a stand up guy. But I think to Jared's point, I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't like put it past him if something like this did happen because he has grabbed some of these big recruits who were leaning. I mean, Bridges is one of them. Who these players who are leaning to go to another school and then last minute flip to Michigan State. So it wouldn't surprise me, but. I don't know. I think it's something, too, that I, I think about sometimes that, you know, they talk about coaches, they need to have a control on their program and, and they, you know, the lack of institutional control and all that kind of stuff. And I just think it would almost be impossible for a coach to know everything that is going on around their program. I mean, you can know some of the boosters or, you know, all what your assistant coaches are doing and stuff like that. But for them to know every single booster that's involved with the school that might be handing out some money, I just I think it would be a tough job for a coach to have have control of all that i I totally agree and i'll again go on record i think i think Izzo is a a totally honest guy i think to a fault as far as standing up for his players yeah he's had some players in his program that have had some issues with uh you know some assault things there's no doubt about it could that have been handled better without a doubt but i think his heart was in the right place, trying to help maybe his players, maybe help them, uh, you know, see the light. Maybe he did some mistakes in the way he handled things, but I, I totally think he's a stand-up guy, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna stick with that until you put me on your freeze-out Twitter account or whatever it is, Jared. I'm sticking by it. <laughs> you, you know what it's called, freezing. That's just a classic, like Bill Belichick uh, face <laughs> chat or whatever. But yeah, before before we head out, there was actually kind of something I wanted to tie up like a loose end. I actually watched a uh, Godfather. Uh, part three this weekend 
doesn't quite stack up, does it? <laughs> it does not. <laughs> it's not great. No, I never not did great. tell you to. I didn't recommend that one to you. I told you if you ever are in the mood again, you got to watch the Godfather trilogy because they take all three movies and they put it totally in chronological order. It's really a yeah, great way to, cool watch to watch it. Yeah, that would be cool to watch it. Yeah, that's a good Yeah, But my pro- this, the acting was so bad, but what really <laughs> devastated me in this movie is this whole trilogy i've been waiting for like the say hello to my little friend quote i <laughs> i went movie. through the entire Wrong thing movie. i was thinking oh maybe this is gonna happen at the end of godfather 3 he's gonna return back to <laughs> like being like a badass but he didn't and so i had to look it up at scarface exactly. i that was pretty depressing when the whole thing went through and that wasn't the same movie that's like that's like watching a, a different tom hanks movie and waiting for him to yell wilson yeah <laughs> Yeah, it was pretty depressing when I realized that that was this whole time. This I've been building up to that one line that's so that everyone's just been uttering to me over the years, and I realized that's not even the same movie. Oh boy! I mean, you get you guys are talking about these movies a lot. Maybe eventually I'm gonna have to sit down and commit ten hours of my life to watching the Godfather trilogy. You would not be disappointed, Matt. They are <laughs> they are top notch. Although I would agree, Godfather three. By far the worst. Yeah, no doubt. Okay, guys, that's it for now. And I just want to remind everybody we have high school basketball, our game of the week, coming up next Thursday, our season finale on Z92.5, Marine City Cardinal Mooney at Corona. Definitely tune into that one somewhere around 7.15, 7.30. And also, please share this pod with all your friends. We love to get your feedback and follow us on Twitter. Guys, I'm amazed that uh, we keep building and building. I check every week, and we're getting a ton of people tuning in, listening in, listening to our replays of our basketball games, believe it or not. So we're growing this podcast, and it's a lot of fun. Now, you can follow me on Twitter at Z92.5 Sports Guy. Matt, you're at? Burnsy381. And J-Rod? At FastX Sports underscore. John, you even have a Twitter account, don't you? I do, at J Fatel. There you go. And you can also email us at threepointpod at gmail.com. I want to thank, again, our sponsors, Rivals Tap House and Grill, The Corona Connection, and Z92.5 The Castle. This has been a Sportsnet Michigan and Fat Stack Sports production. Until next time, thanks for listening to Three Point Podcast.